understand. What is up, everyone? We are actually live. Sorry, we had some technical difficulties this week. This is Jack Greenstock. You are listening to Growing With My Fellow Growers, a live podcast on YouTube. I'm going to have some panelists joining us tonight as I go ahead and introduce the regulars. And we have a special guest this week as well, who I will get to. But first, I'm going to pass it to Dr. MJ. Yeah. Hey, I'm Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. We publish articles, tutorials, and guides on the science and practice of growing cannabis. And I'm excited to be on the show with uh, Rob Smith today. Thank you again for joining us, Doc. And again, sorry to the chat and everybody who's listening to us live. We are a little bit late. And sorry if you hear a little bit of a vacuum in the background. I'm making some uh, what people usually call Rick Simpson oil or RSO. Uh, some people call it FSO, full spectrum oil. Uh, I just call it cannabis oil most times. But uh, that's the extract craft source you're going to hear running occasionally in the background. After the vacuum turns off, it gets quieter, though. Uh, but next up, we have Matthew Gates. Yeah, hey everyone. This is Matthew Gates, IPM specialist, integrated pest management. If you're interested in that sort of thing, you can check out my uh, science communication educational channel, Zenthanol, the same account that I'm commenting on, which, by the way, uh, switch from top chat to live chat so you can see all of the various questions and comments people make. And um, yeah, I'm really excited to talk in this session. Thank you again for joining us. And I want to remind the people in the chat, that live chat, if you do click that button, to tag at Cheap Home Grow or at Jack Greenstock, and that will tag me or tag any of the other people on the panel if they're in the YouTube live. If you see them chatting back and forth and you want to get their attention, that'll highlight them so they'll be easier to find your message and uh, get to you and hopefully be able to bring you up on the show. Next up, Brandon Rust. How you doing over there? I'm good. What's going on with you guys? Uh, I'm Brandon Rust. You can find my social media page at Rust Brandon. I'm the owner of Bokashi Earthworks and the cultivation director at uh, Majestic Craft Cannabis in Oklahoma. And I have some other stuff going on too. Building a new farm. Looking forward to all of that. But uh, we'll keep it short so we can get to our guests. Aaron, the grower, you're up next. Yeah, looking forward to hearing uh, a little bit more about Rob. Uh, I've had uh, just a brief conversation, but it was all about me. And I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing about him. Thanks well, for being awesome. here, Rob. Next up, so I don't go to him last like I normally do, but I uh, always appreciate his time here. Kyle of Predicative Breeding. Hey, what's up, everybody? Glad to be here. Uh, it's nice to have a guest. I'm happy that Rob's here. Um, yeah, if anyone's looking for uh, good feminized seeds, you can feel free to go to my website at pbreeding.com. Uh, basically specialize in that area. And yeah, if you want to check out any of my social media, it's predicated breeding on all social media platforms. And uh, I'm excited to see how tonight goes. Looking forward to it myself. Last on our panel that's with us so far, we've got the American one. Hello, Jack and panel and everyone in chat. It's good to be here finally this week. Uh, I apologize for my missed uh, last two weeks, but I'm excited to be here. And it's always good to get some new blood on the panel. Rob, glad to be uh, to have you with us. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Awesome, awesome. We did miss you those last two weeks, but we totally understand if you need some, some time away or if you just get a little bit too messed up and forget about it, which uh, we totally understand that as well. <laughs> Last but certainly not least, our special guest this week, Rob from Homegrown Helpers. How you doing? 
What's up, everybody? How are you, Jack? I'm doing well. We're happy to have you this week. Can you tell us a little bit about where to find you? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming. Uh, Shane has been bugging me to get it on the show, and it's it's long overdue, so I'm glad to be here. Glad to be here. Um, so the uh, the most important project right now is uh, the Homegrown Helpers, my podcast, uh, where I interview home growers and, and bring tips to uh, to the masses, kind of like you guys are doing right here. Um, people mostly know me from Atlas Plant Trainer before this, um, and the shirt that I'm wearing was my second business in the cannabis industry, my trimming machine rental business, which is located in New England. So I've uh, been doing this for quite a while with a bunch of different projects. I'm the executive producer of Growcast um, and our membership pro- program, mygrowpass.com, which is open for new members right now. So uh, lots of places to find us, uh, find the work that we do and, and the education that we're trying to bring to to everybody. So Awesome stuff. I know that some of the panel members have actually been on the Growcast. I think Dr. MJ is even a regular over on one of your guys' shows, like Ask Dr. MJ maybe? Yeah, yeah. Dr. Coco is a regular for our members on Growcast, and he was just in our uh, Slack channel, our Slack community earlier today. Um, hanging out with those guys um, if you want to do check out any of the stuff that we have going on it's pretty much uh, the link tree like in, in our Instagram bio it's linktr.e slash growcast and that's where everything that we do is is right there um, Aaron the grower delivered a great interview that kind of uh, you know sometimes I get too busy talking about cannabis and growing cannabis and we lose track of time and like you know, you look down and hours gone by when that's really all you have booked. And that's kind of what happened with Aaron and I. And I, I bet there's a part two coming up shortly after probably the harvest season, right? No doubt, man. I look forward to it. Definitely. Uh, once things calm down, I'll reach back out to you. We'll do it <laughs> I look cool. forward to it as awesome. well. Time flies when you're having fun. That's for sure. Hopefully tonight it feels a little bit that way. At least we're going to be talking about uh, some fun stuff and maybe some not so fun stuff because well, shit, the... we've already been on the air for 15 minutes, right? Well, not technically. We, we should have been on for 15 <laughs> minutes, but we, we were a little late getting here. So I think we've only been on for like five. Oh, I can't. That said, I wanted to uh, give our listener who wrote in this week and asked us if we would be able to go through and talk about at least one plant we liked growing and one plant we disliked growing and maybe why. And I think that uh, it's a good topic for home growers and as well as commercial cultivators as well. Uh, I know Brandon Rust has talked about some of the pheno hunts he's done in the past, and we may have even talked about this on episodes in the past, but unfortunately, a lot of our earlier catalog was deleted. So I guess first, I'll pass it over to our guest this week, Rob. Do you have any plants that you like? I guess we'll all start off with a positive one, because I think it's right to start on a positive note. Uh, I've, I've definitely met more plants that I love to grow than, uh, than the ones that I don't like to grow. Um, I, I probably could answer that question a whole lot easier. Um, my, my favorite to grow, uh, was probably the first strain I ever grew. It was a midnight oil, um, more, more known in, in the Northeast, especially Maine. Um, but the first time I grew it, I had six plants under 3000 watt HPSs and I got 15 ounces out of, uh, each plant or like just over 15 ounces out of each plant. So it um, super easy could take pretty much whatever you threw at it for nutrients and uh, you know, easy to train short stocky. 
and uh, anybody that knows me knows that I like to train my plants. So definitely, I think uh, your old business would in, in insinuate that you also are a big <laughs> training focus guy. But I love the name. I mean, the midnight oil—you can literally say you're burning the midnight oil. That's yeah. like an expression. Abso- I think absolutely, definitely, absolutely cool name for that. Yeah, and it was a clone-only strain that a, a friend of mine had kept around for like 15 years, and he was the guy that kind of, you know, he's my caregiver, and uh, you know, before I start growing, and then taught me how to grow and got me into it, and and actually uh, gave me my first patient too. So I I know I went off a lot to him. That sounds like an awesome thing. I think one of my favorite parts about the cannabis community is the caregiver aspect. If it's legal in your state, I think that's one of the most powerful things to have that direct relationship with the cultivator and the patient. You can get a really good understanding of what helps them best, what's their best medicine, because oftentimes it's not what grows the best, like we were just talking about. Sometimes it's that one that's a little finicky or small yielding or really stretchy and a little bit tough to manage. But if that patient really loves it, it might be worth keeping around sometimes or trying to breed it into something that's a little bit more manageable. And uh, speaking of crazy plants, I know, Brandon, you got a ton of space to grow some massive plants over there. Um, do you have any plants that you just felt like, man, I really loved growing that. That was a great plant for one reason or another that stuck out, stood, stood out to you other than the lime arilla, because I think everybody knows that's going to be your uh, natural go-to. You're on mute. I have another variety. Um, that's the Lamarilla cross with uh, with the San Diego Mountain Kush, which is a different variety than I made. Was the uh, uh, Purple Kush cross with Grape God? That plant was a really, really huge yielder. Uh, and the seed that I the seeds that I popped, I chose one, and that's one of the ones that I'm growing right now. Um, I love the terpene profile. Love growing it, um, but it. Like there's just some varieties like train wreck, for instance, that don't, that I love growing gorilla glue, right. That are, that just go all over the place. They're all over the place, no matter what, like they just need to be trellised and are staked up. Um, so my favorite plants to train, uh, are, I mean, my favorite plants to grow are the ones that are really short and stocky that are able to hold up their own support and weight. Um, those are, I have like an ideal stature when it comes to my, uh, what plants I like to grow, especially in a commercial setting. Um, but you can't always get that, you know, you can't always get the same exact plant structure across the board and, and get all the different terpene profiles and different colors. And, you know, so you just have to work with them. Some require extra training, some require earlier pruning, some require less pruning. It's just, it's all dependent on your cultivar. Less trimming in some cases. Some people really like that, the trimmers especially. Kyle Breeder, I know you've got a bunch of different work over there. It's uh, hard to pick your favorite children or anything like that. So I'd imagine as a breeder, it's hard to pick your favorite cultivar. But ones that, what is one that you've really enjoyed growing recently? Yeah, I'd have to I'd have to go with, uh, I don't mean sounding like cliche, but New England rock candy, man. I mean, um, She's just, uh, you know, overfed, underfed. I mean, she's just all around, just uh, handles it. I mean, I've even had, uh, during the winter, last year, I uh, had some issues with ducting and basically, uh, like, the fans kicked on and was, like, blowing uh, the winter air into the tents. And I woke up and, like, basically everything almost died except her. And she was just, like, like withheld freezing temps uh, for a good amount of hours. Um, 
and everything I cross her with just turns out pretty beautiful. Um, she's just real vigorous, uh, real healthy. And uh, yeah, that's, I'd say that's probably my favorite strain for sure. That sounds awesome, man. I mean, you can't beat resilient, right? That's always a great trait. As far as resilient goes, I want to pass it over to Matthew Gates and the IPM work that you've done in the past few years in cannabis specifically. Have you noticed any cultivars that stood out as like, wow, that plant is just particularly resistant either to pests or mildew or mold or um, anything specific like that? Not really conclusively, if I'm being intellectually honest. Um, usually, and that's what we want. Yeah, right. And and to be quite honest, um, usually I'm being called in uh, for damage control. So in circumstances where that was not really the case. Um, but in fact, I was just getting with my buddy who is tuning in right now, possibly, um, who he sourced some, some cultivars. I think we talked about this earlier because he's growing up in um, the sort of a Bishop Inyo County area sort of in the uh high deserts of california and um they were growing some pretty good in my opinion environmentally hardy um plants i remember earlier we were actually sort of supposing that certain cultivars that they were growing might not be particularly great for the very uh, high heat sort of high desiccation low humidity um area but they were growing uh, Gorilla Glue number four, uh, Skittles, uh, Blueberry Muffin. They had a Purple Urkel and a Great Ape. Yeah, that's right. I just actually called him while you were talking with uh, Brandon to confirm all of this. Um, and they all did really well, to be honest, in that uh, sort of grow condition outdoors. Wasn't there a human pest in that grow that ended up uh, they, they were bringing robbed. me to an early conclusion? Yeah, they were robbed. So, you know, you got to fucking sucks. I'm sorry to be careful for all of the various pests, the small ones and the big ones. Um, But uh, so one other thing I'd like to say on that topic, since I am an IPM specialist and it's a it's a thing near and dear to my heart. I feel as though I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, plants that miss and we've talked about this earlier, plants that don't have the. gene cassette that allows them to produce THC, those cannabis plants that don't have that, that are kind of bred for the CBD hemp uh, market, they lack certain resistance genes that are also on that gene cassette. So the same sort of like, I guess, segment of DNA, or rather, am I saying that right? Yeah, that's correct. I think SNP. But basically, like that also controls the THC, all the genes that are important for that synthesis. Um, there are also genes on that same sort of like strand um, or rather uh, sort of like segment uh, that are also important for resistance to like fungal pathogens in particular. So like your fusarium and your powdery mildew and uh, medicinal genomics is uh, looking, has looked into that quite a bit and they're creating PCR assays that you can utilize to tell whether or not um, your cannabis also lacks these various um uh, traits and uses indicators to avail that. And I think that's a really important thing. And I'm very curious and uh, cautiously optimistic about uh, this technology becoming democratized so that more people can utilize it at home as well as in commercial facilities. I know that he's making his stuff more affordable with uh, his PCR testing. And 
I also know that, like you said, it's kind of interesting to see that certain hemp is more, the thing that I saw most often or in, in the research was the powdery mildew. And a lot of the hemp was getting hit with powdery mildew because it didn't have that, like you said, the genes that were responsible for making THC, which would have made it more resistant, which uh, shout out to my Kevin McKernan over at Medicinal Genomics. He does really amazing work. Um, just really, really cool stuff. I want to give another person who does really amazing work a shout out and an opportunity to jump in this wonderful conversation. Dr. MJ, do you have a plant that stood out to you as something that was just really fun to grow or easy to grow that you liked a lot? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about that. I mean, I like to grow plants and cannabis plants just in general are, are fun to grow. I mean, they can grow really vigorously. Um, they're usually fun to train. They're very responsive. Um, so we're kind of lucky as gardeners, I think, in general. I mean, there are some plants that are just pure pains in the butt to, to, to grow as gardeners. Um, and we don't have one. We have one that's generally pretty fun to grow. I, I think my favorite plants, just in terms of growing, again, because it's a different question if we're thinking about smoking or using or any of that stuff, but just in terms of growing, um, you know, blueberry has been one of the fastest sort of plants up through the seedling stage and one of the most vigorous sort of vegging plants. And I really enjoy that too. Actually, both the plants I have growing right now, I'm growing shining silver haze too, is, um, just they're fun plants to grow from seed. And I do prefer sort of the, the experience of growing plants from seed as opposed to getting clones. Clones seem to just be a little bit more stuck in the mud um seedlings have like a, a natural vigor a spring in their step um for st strains that are not good or strains that have caused me problems are autoflowers that take too long before they start flowering um that's frustrating because with photoperiod plants you can always just sort of flip them when you know they're gonna need to be flipped because you're gonna run out of space but a couple of times that I've grown autos um, and you guys remember me talking about the plant that I was going to have to call in the SFAC because it just wouldn't start flowering. And it just, I mean, it like went four weeks longer than I thought it would before it started flowering and it got too big and it was just sort of a pain in the butt. So autos that take too long and end up becoming too big um, would be the, the plants that are sort of a pain. In that dislike category. Yeah. I want to give the American one a chance to do his likes and then we'll go over to Aaron the grower last and then we'll talk about the plants if anybody wants to voluntarily basically rag on a plant or find share about one that didn't work well for them but the American oh, yeah one. I got plenty of both well not plenty but I got one that I don't like but the one right that on I game. like the one that I like is I have this time rack that I've kept a long ass time because it's almost impossible to uh not make it take root when you take cuts off of it you could it's unbelievable how quickly it roots and how vigorous it is. And as well as if you even get it in flower and shit goes south, the plant still produces and it still has killer. It's almost like when it's not happy that it, it does. It seems like it gets terpier and perhaps even more potent when she's not happy. But most of the time, she's just an easy growth straight through and through. And I also like, I have um, my Godiva and actually the god butt too i like when uh, you grow this stuff outside and you get them pink pistols that's always cool and i grew out a bunch of mutant plants the ones that have like the extra leaf in the middle or um or buds where they shouldn't be i always love growing those not that i have any cuts of those but when they pop up i always am intrigued 
I had that on uh, Chernobyl from Subcool. I called it like my middle finger, Fino, because you got like all yeah. your leaves going this way, and then you got like the one that's like facing the opposite way, and it kind of like looked yep. like it was flipping you off. Yeah, and I had one plant that had it all over, like two blades in the middle, three blades, ones that had a stem coming up out of the middle with a leaf blade on it, all in the same plant. It was really bizarre, but yeah, that's what I like. That's what I like. That's some cool stuff. I've heard that can happen from kelp or other uh, hormone that can be introduced, but it also can just be genetic most times. But uh, Aaron, the grower, what's one that you love or like? My favorite right now would have to be um, pink lemonade number two. That's spelled A-I-D. Lemonade is spelled A-I-D, so not A-D-E. Um, number two, breeder's cut from Anunnaki genetics that I allegedly might have gotten from Power Meds over in uh, Michigan. And uh, it, it's, it absolutely is the most vigorous, it it's pink the buds are like straight pink and dark purple and the terps are like straight out of it's like it goes from artificial watermelon when you harvest to like deep earthy pink lemonade when you're smoking it um my least favorite i would have to side with kind of what brandon was talking about where he said that where the branches are all lanky and specifically gorilla glue I found a couple of strains that have been bred using Gorilla Glue that kind of capture that sort of chocolate terpy pro, that kind of train wreck chocolate terpy profile, but um, that are a little bit more hardy. So I'd have to, oh, I got rid of Gorilla Glue a couple of years ago because it was so, I was losing so many branches every time and it was just, it's so hard to stay on top of with the wind outdoors. Yeah. Breeder Steve talks about that's one of the things he selects away from because he's a field grower. He doesn't have the time to go stake up plants or even trellis them. He wants them to be able to stand up straight in the wind and survive the storms and the wind and all that stuff and be able to produce in that environment. Because if you want to be able to plant it with a, like he does, like hectares worth of plants, just drill press seed and let it go. And he said for the first few weeks when you do it, that's that. You don't even have to water them because that taproot shoots down so deep, just touches the water and they're really easy to take care of down there. That's what I'm hoping for when I get these cuts from Jodry, that that OG and that F1 Royal. I'm like going to put a bunch of those outdoors out here because they're supposed to finish real fast and be mold resistant. And that's kind of like the only way that you can grow cannabis out here. They have to be able to be supported because the super high winds, like, dude, it's like if you went outside right now, it's so windy. And like, I have one plant left out there that's not finished to Gorilla Glue. It's all over the place. <laughs> you better believe you're going to be like, you're going to go out there one day and it's just going to be a little bit too heavy. And all of a sudden, <laughs> well, you know, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it was part of a breeding project anyway. So I could just, I should just go out there and cut it down. But I just wanted to let, finish the last of the seeds, let them ripen up. So that makes them like, even heavier. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They don't make as much bud though when they're making seeds. You get a lot less bud and more seeds. So like I'd say as far as weight, when I weighed the entire thing when I seeded a plant, I actually got less weight on the actual plant, even though the seeds are fairly heavy. That's just my personal experience. Yeah, I did the the I did a the TK the TK times TK and L5 Hay from AK Bean Brains that plant like exploded in my backyard. I literally had it in a, like a five gallon fabric pot and I dug like a little earth pot and just stuck it in there and then covered it up with some more dirt. And it 
ended up being like eight feet tall and but i pollinated it all the way from the very beginning of the first like you know three weeks so it it stacked huge crazy colas of just nothing but seed you know so it's really it was it's really shut through because you know i like all the I like all the AK bean brain stuff that I've run so far. He uh, he's solid. Has anybody grown chem or chem sis? Because that's one of the gorilla glue uh, parents, and gorilla glue is notoriously floppy. And I heard somebody complaining on another podcast about chem being like when it gets too much weight on a branch, it just snaps off. Um, it sounded to me like they had hop latent viroid personally, but um, I've also heard people to say chem for whatever reason doesn't want to support itself, depending on which cut you have, because the chem four is a really huge producer bulky and it supports itself but then like chem d and, and chem 91 might be a little bit different i'm curious does any, has anybody grown those yeah i, I would say that <clears throat> that it's it's not as bad as gorilla glue um i think if you look at like some of the the thai uh genetic lineage attached to the glue you'll find that that's where the lankiness comes from um but i'll say this about chem it is, it can be such a heavy yielder that, that it, it will crunch. It'll do the same kind of branch breaking, but it's not as bad. Yeah. Ties can get really crazy. Kyle, you grew uh was it Corolla? Was that from Thailand or maybe some other ties that just got super crazy, like octopus eight plus foot long stock. You're muted. I don't know if you're still yeah. with us. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I went on this uh, heirloom slash land race kick. And uh, yeah, I had some Corolla, I had some Highland Thai uh, and a bunch of other stuff. But uh, yeah, it was definitely the Highland Thai. And I think it was a, an interesting endeavor trying to grow that indoors because, uh, I mean, I think I turned the flower on uh, or flipped the switch when it was like, I don't know, three feet tall and it like times eight itself. So it ended up being like, I don't know, I think like 15 feet by the time I was done. And that was just me. Uh, it's It smashed into the roof of the tent that I was growing in like basically overnight. And then I had to put the pot on its side and then I let it hit the, then it hit the roof again. And then I had to put a pot on it. So it basically looked like a big, uh, like a number seven, but then like kind of grew back up and it was just like this whole thing. But yeah, it was like, um, and then I had to put it outside and but, uh, long story short, it was like 22 weeks and uh, the trichomes weren't even cloudy yet. I ended up having to like, I mean somewhere, but there was still, you could tell like definitely still had a ways to go, but uh, I definitely- think- uh, I've heard that Thai, some real land race Thai does never, never clouds. Some people have yeah. told me that. I, I wonder. It's interesting because it seems like when I've seen those, they just keep on like foxtailing and like budding more and more and more and more. Yeah. And if the weather or if you're doing it indoor and like the weather is never bad enough to come kill the plant, it'll just kind of keep growing with like little buds. Have you guys ever, have you guys ever heard of people multi-cropping off the same plant? Like, Cause that I've, I saw somebody do that, but it was probably like 15 or 16 years ago when I was first started, this dude was growing this plant and he was just, he would cut buds off and the thing, and then would grow new bud sets and continue flowering. I'd only, I've only ever seen it one time. Twisted Roots, uh, shout out to Twisted Roots. He does uh, a multi-harvest. I don't know if the buds finish. He does like like top layer, bottom layer, and then like third lower kind of thing but i I have heard people do what you're talking about brandon where they harvest some and let it just stay out there for a long time and then it rebuilds buds and they can get a sort of second harvest off the same plant but i think you have to have pretty good weather and uh not have a harsh finish to your season like most people do 
And Matthew, the seeds I gave you a while back were from Thailand. Uh, I don't know if, I think I gave you a few of each one from the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. My buddy went and handpicked from uh, some, and he also had some from Thai stick. But the reason I haven't popped them myself is because I only have five uh, feet of headspace. And as Kyle just described, I would never be able to manage that plant in my grow space right now. So I'm looking forward to popping them in the greenhouse, though, see what they can do. That would be very cool to see, honestly. And, and uh, it's crazy out here on my next pheno hunt. Yeah, you said you were going to go pretty crazy, weren't you? Well, I'm doing a small one to start off, but next spring I'm going to try to do a huge one. But I almost all the stuff that I uh, popped was like was a cush cross. So I'm expecting nice short squat little, you know, plants that have uh you know wide broad leaf sets and then that produce like those golf ball size little dense nugs rob i know uh you're our guest this week i, I don't want to make it just like a normal panel week i want to make sure we get back over to you a little bit uh if you were doing a pheno hunt like uh brandon or myself or a few of the other guys are getting into what would be some things that would make you be absolutely against keeping certain plants like if you're like oh when i see this i'm like i don't want that at all uh i'm definitely against the the tall and lankiness um you know the the stableness i mean you're a home grower is going to naturally put a plant through some stress and looking for something that they can reliably uh not uh treat the best and still have good outcomes um, is really important to me when when looking for that one plant um, the structure like everybody else has said you know is important um, but stability and and kind of testing it out and growing it out and making sure that uh it's a good outcome 100 so when you of the say time. stability do you mean like I have 10 phenos and I want them all to taste like 10 blueberry or when you say stability, like sexual stability of the plant, you don't want it to reverse into like a monoecious plant where it's got both male and female parts on the same plant. Uh, yeah. Stability when you said lankiness. What was that, Matthew? You said, well, you mentioned lankiness. So I thought you meant like physical stability. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what I meant was the physical stability. Is, oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good point too. You know, I, I, I mean, we've all grown tall and, you know, hardy plants but not all tall plants are hardy and not all short plants are hardy you know so the stability and and being able to support the plant um not just how it necessarily grows but the the strength of it yeah, my atlas plant trainer supports my plants more than <laughs> i think the the plant itself does sometimes I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you guys and i understand it for outdoor growing but talking about the plant supporting its own way I, I think that without you know the atlas plant trainer or some other similar sort of device serving the same function um yeah my branches would break off under their own weight or at least not be held in the proper position um, so I think that that depends on sort of how you're training and, and whether or not it's practical to use a lot of training aids in your space. And I, I definitely understand that's a big different thing when you're growing big plants outdoors than when you're growing just about anything in, in an indoor setting. I yeah, would yeah. that when, uh, when plants are like that, when like any kind of plant, cannabis or some other plant where it's like, 
you really got to support that plant. Uh, if there's you know, branches breaking, I just feel like, come on, man, do your job. Like, pick yourself. Well, yeah, up. I mean, I, I, I talked to the plants. I'm like, you silly plant can't even hold yourself up anymore. Right? <laughs> you got to realize that that's what they're being bred for. They're being bred for, like, giant, massive flower clusters. And at some point, they're going to need some help with that. And And there's a lot of other plants that you know, farmers need to, to help out and support the weight of the fruit or other things like that, or, or it won't get to be sort of the, the best condition. So we've bred these plants beyond where we can just sort of expect them to do all their own work. At yeah, least but, strains. but I've grown a couple of strains that I can think of, like my train wreck cut that could hardly hold itself up in veg. You know, the, the, there was no girth to the, the branches. And as soon as they got long enough, they would just you, you really, Yeah, okay. Well, that would be a different... I'm, I'm <laughs> right. talking about the weight put on in... In, in, in flower, you, you absolutely right. want, want to support that. But, you know, I, I'm looking at the stability of, you know, a, a branch being able to... Uh, yeah, I haven't had that. So, I mean, I, I'd be I'd just be curious beyond thinking about the, the structural stability of the plant in terms of strain... Um, you know, grow style, nutrients, the the availability of silica, for example, to the plant um, have yeah. big impacts on how structurally sturdy they are during the vegetative growth. I definitely notice a difference when using silica or a soil that has some sort of silica source that the plant can take in over time uh, and just yeah. like being able to bend the plant over and it's like uh, sort of, I don't know if turgidity is the right word, but like it's really flexible and it, it doesn't seem to snap where if I'm not using as much silica uh, in veg, it won't, you'll literally be able to bend the branch and snap it off or some you can dip it all the way down to the soil and tie it wherever you want it and it, it's just fine. What's everybody's uh, preferred brand of silica? Um, I use potassium silicate. Um, it's also, I guess, known as Agsil 16. You can get it from lots of different companies. I buy 50 pound bags of it for the facility. I use that every five days as a foiler. Um, and it's not just for the silicon potassium, but it's also because uh, the pH of that stuff is really high and it works as an integrated pest management uh, foiler application as well. So there's actually science uh, that talks about the use of potassium silicate for uh, foiler IPM to fight uh, fungal pathogens. So it's kind of like a, a dual purpose. Um, How high that, is the pH when you're foliaring with the spray? It's got. A, it's probably around ten, at least ten, maybe a little bit higher. I just want to remind yeah, everybody who's here. That's aware of with it. It, it is very alkaline, um, but that that alkaline pH can actually be beneficial for some IPM uses in. Uh, foliar application as well. Do you do another application to offset that or you just leave it at 11 on that? Oh, we'll see. Um, typically pH, uh, in my experience for foiler applications, it's never been an issue. Um, the thing that I see overdone is the amount that's used could, could, could cause problems or spraying um, with the lights on or with the two, under too intense of a light. Um, those are the, the problems that I see mostly associated with foilers. Because I, I did see... Too. I, use it, I use it several times a week. Okay, I saw a, a presentation where they were just um, pH in the water, no, nothing else. 
as IPM and they were doing like a hit with oh past 11 and then they would come back with something that's lower to you know like offset it <laughs> yeah, that can and be effective against WPM yeah um, usually you'd add a wedding agent though not just pH the water but yeah you can do that you can add just a wedding agent and pH a really high pH to take care of WPM yeah, I think that's one of the reasons baking soda works really well too. It changes the pH and then it has the uh, the bicarbonate, I believe. Is it sodium bicarbonate? Is that what baking soda is? Something like that? Um, it could be. I'm not 100%. That's one for pretty, Google. Pretty sure that's baking soda. Before we get too off track, one of the reasons I hate growing the Bruce Banner plant I have is because it's all flappy and Without some sort of support, it's just an impossibility. The, the, the buds would be on the floor underneath the pots, not even on the dirt level. They'd be <laughs> underneath, you know what I'm saying? And that is just so annoying to me. I'm with Frida Steve. If you can get a plant that will hold itself up and still make the nugs that you want, I, that's what I would hope for. But um, I'm living with it because it's really, it's really good. And I Shout trust the good stuff, so I'm going to try and make it better. Shout out to Doja DNA. His stuff is all like that. It's like everything I've grown from him. I've never had to use a trellis, never had to use stakes. It just like gives that like vicious, like why just super upward, vigorous growth. It holds big fat buds on the top of the branches, never breaks off. So it's plants fan. like that that put the APT out of business, man. The APT is going out of business anyways, man. It's all good. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, again, I, I, I sort of like that being able to put the plant. I, I really love plants that are, are easy to train that are sort of when you when you top them, the branches will grow out more than just sort of trying to bolt straight up again. Those kinds of things are, are what I would look for. Um, although I guess I just haven't had a plant that's been truly flopping around during veg. Um, and I don't know, I, I think I might attribute that to silica. Matthew, I want to jump back just a little bit. Um, we were talking about sodium bicarbonate. That is indeed baking soda. I did Google, Google it and confirm. But I wanted to ask your thoughts on what the American one and Brandon were talking about with the high pH water versus low pH water afterwards. Is it necessary to come in with that afterwards? Does it provide other benefits? And what do you think about that just in general for IPM? I don't feel like it's necessary to like sort of like neutralize the pH afterwards. Um, but I don't have a lot of uh, experience with like, I think we've talked about it before. Um, some people are recommending uh, like, like as high as like 11 pH water, uh, like the Kangen water from or through like electrolysis. And um, I guess there are people who are saying that it works really well, but I don't have personal experience with it myself. I also want to say that like for a lot of uh, pesticides, whether they're biopesticides or chemical pesticides, um, natural chemistries or non-natural chemistries synthesized, uh, pH can often pay, play a really important role. So you should really pay attention to the label. And when they tell you that a pH is really important or that it will enhance the efficacy, you should really pay attention to that because they don't put that on there for no good reason. Yeah, there's usually a lot of research behind it that uh, gives them justification to put it. Like you said, they're not just putting it on there for fun or to make for you products have to go that, adjusting it. Yeah, for products that are labeled as for this application. 
Um, and, and that's a weird little labeling issue. If you're selling a product designed for a foliar application to adjust the, the, the pH and that's all it does and it's designed for an IPM purpose, then it's going to be considered a pesticide. And you're going to have to do a bunch of testing and label it as a pesticide. So this is the trouble that SM90 got itself into is they were selling it as a wetting agent, essentially, um, with a wink and a nod that it could be used as a pesticide in this foliar spray. Um, and since they were sort of marketing it as a pesticide, that's why the stop sale order went through and they had to pull it off the market. Um, so a lot of products that you can use effectively as sort of um, things to raise pH and, and have an effective foliar treatment won't talk about it on their label. They won't give you those instructions because they, they can't. They haven't gone through the labeling process required in order to be sold as a pesticide. Absolutely salient point to be made. And um, it's just kind of, that's just how the game is played for a lot of people. Now, I don't advocate for that, um, but you're right. That does happen. And like, for those who don't know, like you, know, like you say, I'm just going to reiterate anything that is sold to just to affect pests, to kill them, to irritate them, to affect them in some way. You know, those are called those are pesticides. Those are pesticidal agents. Even organic, matter. even doctor's imes, even yeah. plant therapy, even yeah. anything that kills a pest is a pesticide. That yeah. needs to be very clear to all the people in the cannabis community because it isn't right now. I'll talk to people and they'll say, oh, we didn't spray any pesticides. And then you'll go to make hash and you can smell the plant therapy on their plants. And it's just like, right. Or the needs to be disclosure. Yeah. yeah. Neem oil is so gross. I agree. I'm not a big fan of how that tastes or smells. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it in flour, but people. The other it. lesson in this is that not all pesticides are like inherently evil. Um, you know, there's a lot of products that we, we use that are relatively benign that have an adverse effect on, on pests, like raising the, like SM90, to be perfectly honest with you, what it did was raise the pH and it would be effective against pathogens like white powder and mildew. Um, it, it's basically um, plant oils. It's not a, a really dangerous thing, but since it wasn't labeled properly, they, people now think it's like, oh, that's some dangerous, horrible thing. And it, it's, it, that's really our connotations around some of these terms like pesticide. Um, there are certainly bad, noxious, evil pesticides too, don't get me wrong, but just because something is being used as a pesticide doesn't mean it's like a terrible thing to put in your garden. Yeah, the number of times I've, I've walked into with a, a, an area with a client or I'm talking with them and they say, you know, oh, we don't use any pesticides. And then they have a cabinet full of pesticides that are organic or OMRI listed or whatever. And it's like, actually, that's still a pesticide. And for, for that matter, too, if you're somebody who thinks on this subject that um, like organic things that are grown with organic pesticides, like not just cannabis, but also with um, vegetable crops and other sorts of things, you should be aware that like, there are cases where exceptions are made where organic crops um, like they don't have any other possible way to get rid of a certain pest and they get uh, emergency approval to use non-organic and sometimes quite noxious pesticides um, because it's between that and like total crop fa failure. So just because you're buying or growing organic or like, or rather just buying or like you're receiving something that's organic or is labeled that way doesn't mean that 
it's not possible that that sort of emergency application didn't happen not to break anyone's suspension of disbelief or anything but it's it happens a lot it's good to include that though because some people do believe that okay because it says organic it's 100 percent safe and i don't really have to worry about anything more past that i think it's great to get to know your farmer whether it's cannabis or your strawberry uh if in times that weren't like this when you could go to the farmer's market uh depending on where you are you still might be able to but talk to the person who actually grew it and you can ask them questions like that sometimes they'll actually be honest with you unfortunately sometimes they're not but um I think that there's a lot more people moving towards the using the less noxious pesticides and moving towards biocontrols and models like that because even the noxious pesticides, after a certain amount of time, the pests get resistant to them and you have to either change it up or uh, they end up just fighting through it. So there's a lot to consider when it comes to the IPM. Hey, sure. I just want to give this shout out on the heels of that, Jack, because it's a great lead in. This is an awesome time to join a CSA, a community supported agriculture um to join a, a farm to table program it, depending on where you grow or where you live certainly in california we have such good options for these things because the the climate here is sort of suitable to growing a lot of different things um but a lot of small farms did the vast majority of their contract work with restaurants um and the restaurants aren't ordering the way they used to the whole sort of food distribution network has been scrambled by covid um, and a lot of those farms are offering great deals. They've often had these programs in the past where you pay a monthly fee and you go and you pick up like a, a trunk full of veggies every month or every couple of weeks. Um, so right now, because of COVID, this is like really great programs um, at, at really good deals if, if anybody wants to really get to know their farmers. Yeah, I definitely want to echo that sentiment for sure. Um, particularly in California, definitely agricultural Mecca that it is. Um, and, and yeah, like it's important to kind of know where your stuff comes from. And California, California sets the standard for like other countries in, in a lot of cases too. So like with like Department of Pesticide Regulation and a bunch of other things like this. So um, I almost mentioned that earlier, the CDFA, that level of regulation, like certain pesticide producers will just go to that standard because it's the strictest. So once you get CDFA regulation, you're basically clear for all the other ones, as far as I understand it, at least. Or, not to say that you can sell it in other states, yeah. but if you're to that standard, you should be able to go into the other state if you go through paperwork and things like that. Wanted to give uh, the chat a shout out. We have over 100 people with us again this week. I think that's always uh, awesome to see. Make sure you leave a thumbs up to help uh, Shane and the Cheap Home Grow and everybody here on the panel so that this video gets out there to more people so they can learn about this uh, information. Uh, whether you're growing your own or getting it from an organic gardener locally, I think that there's uh, definitely room for a lot of people in their life to be more educated about where their food comes from. And I think we can never advocate for that enough. Absolutely. And also I was just on the, uh, I was just on discord channel with a uh, lemon hoko for anyone who knows who that is. And we were talking about various things with IPM. And I think some of those people might've jumped into the chat uh, because I told them about the upcoming podcast that we're in right now. So if you are from that discord channel, uh, you know, leave a comment in the chat, let me know. Cause I'm just genuinely curious. I always love seeing the communities crossing. I don't know if Rob, if you see anybody uh, in the thing that I know one of the listeners, Max, uh, Screaming Ruby, who was in here earlier as a Growcast person. Um, do you see anybody that you'd like to give a shout out to or about that midway point into the show? 
one hour. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of uh, homegrown helpers, alumni, and uh, Grow Pass members in there. I see Smot Poker and Miss Mercine from uh, the Doctor Coco uh, family over there, and they were on the homegrown helpers, and um, that's kind of why I was. I got a little distracted and hanging out and chatting with with uh, people there. So. Um, I did kind of want to, before we shift gears off of IPM, talk a little bit about neem oil and, uh, and my personal experiences, um, with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, if that's all right, Jack. Yeah. I would love to hear about it. Brandon actually has some experiences that he could follow up with perhaps about his friend and, uh, their experience, but I'd love to hear yours. Before yes. you guys jump in, I'm going to yeah. have, I'm going to have to get out of here. I hate to sign off early. It's five o'clock. It's my go time. Um, I appreciate you guys being here. I wish I could stick around for this, Rob. Um, I'll hopefully catch up with it later. And uh, appreciate the panel as always. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice seeing you, buddy. Aaron, the grower on Instagram. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I didn't even say that this entire time. ATG Acres. ATG Acres. That's me. Yeah. Bye. But yeah, you were going to pick up with the CHS and, and Neem. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I just kind of want to make a distinction and, and share my personal uh, background with that. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, I've been a daily cannabis consumer for, or, you know, was 22 years. And um, over the last um, couple of years, I'd had uh, like four or five bouts of unexplained vomiting for 12 to 18 hours um, you know, eat the same food as my wife and, and I would get sick and she would be fine. And, um, and then mother's day last year, I, uh, was sick for five straight days, every 30 to 45 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half. And the only thing that would relieve those symptoms was, um, extremely hot showers and increasingly extremely hot showers. Um, you know, like, uh, boiling water poured in the bathtub while a shower is, you know, coming down on me. Um, and it's about an elevated, uh, uh, body temperature. And I forget the receptors cause it's been a long time since I've really dug into the, the science, but it's not just the, the CB1 and CB2 receptors, but there's a TPN receptor that, um, reacts with the heat of your body and, and calms down the gut motility um, without getting overly scientific. But um, so the general scientific assumption is that um, your cannabinoid receptors are uh, overloaded or burnt out, uh, twisted, something along those lines. And it reacts with this other TPU receptor and uh you know, causes spasms and causes you to throw up. Um, so I, being a longtime cannabis consumer, had a hard time accepting my fate of uh, not being able to consume cannabis because that's what the doctors tell you immediately. And that's what everybody tells you because everybody goes back to consuming cannabis and they always get reactions. Um, but my, my heart, my soul told me that it wasn't cannabis. I mean, we've consumed this plant for 4,000 years. People have smoked hash. Um, I mean, yes, I was consuming a lot of cannabis and a lot of edibles at the time um, because I was recovering from uh, hip replacement surgery in the last six months. Um, but 
I strongly believe that it was what we put on and, and what we put in the soil to feed our plants. Um, I was, um, I, I used advanced nutrients. I never sprayed anything on my plants and flower, first of all. Um, and my IPM regimen was never to really spray anything on the plants, but spray the walls around my rooms, spray the floors leading up to the garage, spray the walls in the garage, et cetera, et cetera. So there is neem oil poisoning and that's a very clear thing. Like neem oil is uh, safe to be put on fruits and vegetables and whatever and, and washes off, but it's not okay to be uh, combusted. And neem oil poisoning uh, will make you throw up, but it is not uh, relieved, typically relieved by the hot showers and the elevation of body temperature. Um, or some people find relief with uh, capsaicin cream, which is uh, like uh, cream made from hot peppers. So um, we, we at Growcast, uh, Jordan and I are going to do our first ever um, shared interview, uh, our interviewing Dr. Peter Grinspoon, who was just on um, Percy's Grow Room, Percy Percy's Grow Room yep. uh, podcast. I forget the name of it. It's uh, anybody know? They have a few different ones. The yeah, garage, maybe the Grow Room Diaries. The Grow Room. No, it's uh, Talking Buds or something. No, that's Max Max's, right? Talking Buds is Max's. They have. Um, like, <laughs> I'll look it up and and get back. They did but, one with Tommy Chong. That was pretty cool too. Yeah, I mean those guys are killing it out there. Um, but it's a UK based uh, podcast. But. Um, so I, I went 73 days without consuming any cannabis. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, no topicals, like completely clean, like because if it was a receptive thing, I wanted to give myself a fresh start. And I've been back consuming for over a year now, all completely organic cannabis. Um, you know, shout out to Hoda Herb. Um, you know, he is a good friend and, you know, I can trust his medicine, uh, shout out to need East need East on Instagram. Um, you know, a caregiver up in Maine that took real good care of me. Um, so, you know, so I, I do just you think it, what, what do you think it was the advanced nutrients or, or do you think you reset your body after a 73 day break? Well, I, I think I reset my body of the stuff that was built up from advanced nutrients, smoking anything and everything that was handed to me, um, going to a cannabis event every couple of days and smoking a bunch of other people's stuff and not really ever caring what was put on it. And, and I've always said that's been my biggest concern about the explosion of the home grow industry is you need to be able to trust what other people are putting on it. And that's why I started the, the educational part and want to be in, involved in the educational part is teaching people how to do it right. And that's why I'm sharing this story is there's a lot to be said to, uh, you know, treating the plants properly and putting good things into the ground and getting good results and not spraying plants, spraying your plants with uh, neem oil or all of this, all of these other, pesticide sprays if you if you don't have to and being very choice with the stuff that you do put on and in your plants because it does build up and it does have an effect on you 
I want to say shout out to Hoda, Hoda Herb real quick because he is normally, or not normally, but occasionally a panel member here on the show. I also wanted to say, um, Brandon, Russ, do you have an experience with a buddy who ended up losing their life to a similar experience, right? Because they were taking hot showers and uh... dehydration, so, right? So, yeah. So there was a couple of factors involved. Um, first of all, we've been, you know, I've been cultivating cultivating cannabis for a really long time and a lot of the information that we now know just simply didn't exist back then so we used you know if we had insect like a outbreak of something we would use harsh chemical pesticides so um that's not something i practice these days as you guys all know um one of the things that was consistently used was the uh the neem oil and we didn't, we didn't know what the cause of death of my friend did, was at the time. It wasn't until years later when I heard about hypermiosis uh, syndrome. CHS. CHS. Hyperemesis syndrome. Not to be a pedantic person. Yeah. This is easier. Most people just CHS. Pronunciation's not perfect, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, so I started hearing about the symptoms and I was like, this is exactly what was happening. And, uh, you know, my friend, he'd get really sick. And we thought at first it was like Crohn's. And so he went to the doctor to try to figure out what was wrong with his intestines. And they did all these testings and it would always come back negative. And, you know, he'd have like bits of like where he was like, you know, he used to go to prison a lot. So he, whenever he went into prison, he wasn't smoking, super healthy. He'd get out, he'd be super healthy. And then after a while of him, you know, smoking and stuff, he'd start getting sick. And it was like these terrible, terrible stomach cramps. He'd throw up. And that, and one of the things was that was unique to this was the hot showers because his, the showers would be so hot that he would be, you know, getting second, third degree burns on his back. And he would literally just be curled up in fetal position in the, in the shower. Like, I mean, it this it the 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 just being there and going through the amount of pain and angst and just like how how you have no control you can't do anything for your friend you know like it, it's it's insane dude because there's nothing you can do and he's sitting there like hurting himself physically well, i'll say this you should stay hydrated because they're vomiting and they're showering so the combination you dehydrate yourself and when you dehydrate yourself you get renal or kidney failure and you can die from that so the hot showers relieve the symptoms but you need to stay hydrated not just water electrolytes like pedialyte gatorade something that is more salts and, and sugars and all the stuff you're losing couldn't eat and then he would be like oh i need chicken broth which is super high in sodium and then so he'd be dehydrating himself more um, you know, the whole, so it was a combination need sodium and potassium for cramping. If you need it, like, I went through a lot of that as an athlete, as a young man, it fucked me up really bad for a long time, but you need that right levels of sodium and potassium. If you have too much of one or the other, you'll get cramps. I want to give Noah the grow a second to just jump in and, uh, say hello and introduce himself. Cause he got here a little bit late. That was my fault. Cause I didn't send him the numbers. So Noah, I see you over there at the hand up. Uh, do you want to jump in and say hello? And then I'll go back to Brandon. Yeah. How's it going everybody? I'm uh, Noah the Guerrero from Instagram with two E's, and yeah, I had a hard time getting in, but I'm here, and uh, how's everyone doing? We're doing well, man. We're happy that you finally made it. That was totally my fault. I uh, apologize again for not sending those numbers over earlier. We had technical difficulties on top of everything else earlier, and I, I was missing the messages in the DM, so sorry about that. 
But Brandon, um, you were finishing up about the story with your buddy yeah. and how he. So at the time, at the time, nobody had heard of CHS, and it wasn't until I had heard about it and I was like, "Oh my God, this is what this was," and it was a factor because we were spraying neem oil on on plants as a um, pest management practice. That was a regular thing. Um, and, you know, my friend ended up passing away and, you know, and I, it was like tragic because there was nobody knew what it was and there was no diagnosis and it wasn't in the, in the solution would have been so simple, you know what I mean? And it really, really sucks. It's a cautionary tale for sure, because we don't want more people to go through that same experience. And the education being spread is really important. And Rob, I wanted to give you a chance again to hop in there. It looks like you had something to say. Yeah, I mean, sorry for your loss, Brandon. That's uh, a tough situation, not knowing how to be able to help somebody. Um, you know, I, uh, I am grateful that there, you know, were people before me and, and a lot of people that tried to help me. Um, you know, doc, shout out to Dr. Uma. I'm not going to, you know, try and butcher her last name, but, uh, she's, uh, she's an amazing woman. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, uh, Dr. Dustin Sulak from Maine, um, you know, have, have put in time and effort trying to research this stuff. And, and like I said, we're going to be interviewing Dr. Grinspoon here in a couple of weeks and, uh, very much looking forward to having another conversation with a doctor now that I'm you know, a, a year into consuming clean organic cannabis. And, um, you know, I, I just urge people to, again, think about the the stuff that you're putting on and in your plants. And, um, you know, the, the I, I always say on my podcast that, you know, this plant gives you, you know, everything that you put into it, you know, it's going to return, return it to you. So, you know, put positivity and good stuff into it because it's going to return that you know, and big, beautiful, you know, plentiful buds, um, you know, don't go into your grow room with a bad attitude and, um, you know, having a chip on your shoulder and, you know, you know, clear your head and get in there with a, with a good attitude and treat your ladies well, and uh, they'll treat you well. Totally agree. And I want to say shout out to the Grinspoon family because uh, Lester Grinspoon, uh, Peter Grinspoon's father, recently passed away. So rest in peace. He's a legend in my eyes. He was one of the first Harvard professors, very vocally open and advocating cannabis. His grandson, I believe, had cancer. And it was one of the only things that helped him after chemotherapy. And uh, he has a great story. Anybody wants to look into Dr. Lester Grinspoon, there's even a strain named after him from Barney's Farm. I'm not a huge fan of Barney's Farm in general, but it's kind of cool that they uh, represented Dr. Lester Grinspoon in a really strange strain. It, it yields like these peas on like a branch almost. It's like <laughs> the most larfy looking plant you'd ever seen in like a long sativa, but it's kind of a amazing plant if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's so definitely distinct. its own its own phenotype, that's for sure. I love that stuff. The freak show too and the duck's foot and all the different little cannabis mutations. It's all fascinating to me. That's funny. Yeah, uh, the Grinspoon family's done some amazing thing in can things in cannabis and, uh, you know, here in the Northeast and uh, that's, you know, where I'm focused and um, the Boston Freedom Rally and, and all the things that they've done for the community have been been amazing. Follow, make sure to follow Peter on Twitter. I follow him there and he's probably one of like the best doctors I've ever followed on Twitter. He shares amazing content, like yep. up to date current medical studies both good and bad i know a lot of people don't want to hear about that but sometimes cannabis studies aren't 
positive. Sometimes people get anxiety attacks and, and shit like that, and it doesn't work out. So you got to figure out the dosing. You got to figure out how to get over CHS and, and things like that. So I'm a big advocate strain. for legit doctors into the field like him. I bet you strain specific too, you know. I think cannabis is for everyone personally. I mean, if if taking RSO will stop a cancer tumor, then taking RSO before you get a cancer tumor would probably stop it from ever happening. I think everyone should be on the RSO kick right when they become an adult for the rest of their life. My daily, every morning, every afternoon, I take some. As I was just talking about at the beginning of the show, I'm making my own right now. Lady Greenstock came over here with a big spoonful of it and had me take a little lick off that. But yeah, it's great stuff. I think it's good medicine. I think there's a word like apoptosis is when it actually kills a cancer cell. But then there's another one where it prevents cancer from being formed. I can't remember the actual technical term for it. But I think both CBD and THC have shown benefit for different types of cancer. Because when you hear cancer, a lot of people think it's just one thing. There's like 30 or 40 or 50 different types of cancer. And they're all sort of different diseases if you look into it deeply. I have two things to say. One is that Speaking of that about research and cannabis not necessarily being a panacea in all cases or all derivatives of cannabis, right? Um, warfarin interacts with cannabidiol, CBD, um, or rather yeah. I should say the latter interacts with the former and, um, and it's a blood thinner. <clears throat> and the problem with, that's a huge problem for people who are like, who have blood thinning issues, um, whether it's from disease or it's because they're older or some sort of thing you should be very careful because it can make your warfarin dosage uh, much more potent than normal. And that can cause a lot of problems. Like if you recently had heart surgery, for example, or some other sort of gastrointestinal surgery, or who knows, or if you're treating hemorrhoids, like all kinds of things where you're bleeding anytime you're bleeding, if you're in sports, who knows? Um, Noel, you've got your hand up over there. I think uh, I have an idea of what you wanted to say. Go ahead and jump in. Yeah, I was uh, just going to comment off of what Sink Angel was saying there. I've uh, I've had open heart surgery. I have a mechanical aortic titanium valve in my heart. And because of that, I'm required to take warfarin every single day so I can attest to what he's saying is correct. So I live that every day, warfarin every day, no matter what, because that metal valve prevent me from strokes. So, yeah. Did the I, doctor um, warn you Warn you of the CBD interaction? Or did no, you... no, no. He no. didn't, warn, didn't you, warn me. Really. Wow. No, it's no, a new, they, it's, it's a most pretty, won't. They don't know. They don't yeah. know. Oh, they they didn't even really like. I don't know. It, that's a long story. They kind of like really wanted me to take the the heart surgery. You know, there was another alternative. Like I could have got a pig valve or like just like a minor thing up my uh, up my groin, like through like and put in there without having open heart. But the open heart mm -hmm. surgeon recommended me have an open heart surgery. So. Uh, it's yeah, less that often was, that you have uh, to go in after like five years where the stent you have to usually go in to get them replaced every five or 10 years the open heart you can go like 20 or 30 years and they can actually clean you up real good when they do it my yeah. father actually just had that done so that's why they did tell me to do that he did say that with the other way that it was it would have been have to happen again and that this would you know could last me you know i'm 40 so it could last me most of my life so. i want to say this though this is a time for us to be champions of the cannabis plant and good educators because there is something called patient doctor education where patients ask their doctor about a certain medication or patients say hey i heard this or even print out studies and data and say hey did you know that cbd actually is impacted or uh, the warfarin in my blood. So if I'm going to take CBD and anybody else that you work with who you recommend this drug to, I just want to give you that heads up because it'll affect their dosing. 
And then they can look into it. They can find the actual data. And they'll be like, holy shit, this guy was actually right. And then they'll start telling their other patients, hey, if you're going to take CBD, even if you're not going to tell me about it, I need to know because that's going to impact the warfarin dose that you're getting. So have open and honest conversations with your doctor about that kind of stuff. You have to think about this too, Jack. You know, if we have a drug that is interacting, there's probably a good chance that there's a ton of other drug interactions uh, with other cannabinoids. and THC. I know that from my own experience. You smoke too much THC, you take a little CBD, it brings you down. At least in my experience, if you smoke CBD, it ruins your THC high. It completely takes you out of that like zippy paranoia, like uplifted kind of anxiety state. And I think that that shows me that CBD and probably THC have lots of drug interactions across all the different pharmaceuticals and things like that. So it needs to be more well studied. For those who are science comes out to see, um, you know, if I'm, I'm, what I'm wondering, what I'm kind of thinking is, is if cannabis might also kind of drive natural medicine, maybe the combination of both more holistic and traditional and, you know, traditional medicine, um, mixed with what you know modern science i wonder if it'll do that i wonder if they'll start you know you know developing programs where it's not just chemical interactions that they're looking at but things as a a system whole like we do my doctors in california won't write pain prescriptions they'd rather you say hey i'm taking cannabis or i'm taking cbd because it's legal here go ahead matthew Oh, sorry. I um, wanted to say that the two things that, uh, so I already mentioned the thing about warfarin and the CBD. Cannabidiol uh, interacts with the P450 cytochrome. Um, uh, so a lot of things do interact with that because it's part of the sort of metabolism process uh, for a lot of different compounds. So that's just one thing to keep in mind. That might be a one way that people can sort of uh, research and see if a compound is going to be effective in that way or have that sort of uh, interaction. I just want to um, say many doctors were never educated about the endocannabinoid system in their formal education. Just like we're finding out all this stuff about endocrine disorders and, and, and issues like that that are finally being researched and getting new medication and lots of studies and therapies are being dedicated to them when they didn't know about the endocrine system for a while. They discover it and then there's a bunch of new discoveries. We know about the endocannabinoid system. It's just taking a little bit of a long time because of the illegalities to get into mainstream research so that it can be given to doctors because a lot of them uh, abide by the Hippocratic Oath where they believe it's wrong to give out a medication if there hasn't been some sort of FDA-backed study to say that it's safe. So even though cannabis anecdotally across the board for thousands of years, people have used it with fairly safe experiences, they want to have double-blind placebo trials to prove that it is as safe as we believe it is and that it can treat some of the ailments that we believe it to treat. And I'm looking forward to that. In in a lot of cases, cannabis is anti-inflammatory and people mostly think, well, that's good, right? That'll bring down some redness and some swelling. And sure, yeah, definitely. But understand that that is the same as saying cannabis suppresses your immune system. And And that's also kind of a vague thing. A lot of things can suppress your immune system at various degrees in various ways. Um, you know, so that's just another thing is that like people will take this medicinally <clears throat> and have a certain effect that they expect and they associate that with a positive thing, but <clears throat> it's not necessarily positive in the complex, uh, multifaceted nature of your physiology. It's really interesting with like 
ARDS 003 and COVID, they had like 150, there was a research couple who looked at 150 different tinctures and like 50 of them were CBD. And one of those CBD tinctures ended up helping ARDS or acute respiratory distress syndrome, which is commonly associated with cytokine storm with uh, coronavirus, but also like other infections like staph. So it's been uh, being looked at right now as a treatment for COVID and other respiratory illnesses. So it's cool that we have access to even stuff as simple as just THC. I found a study where THC saved 100% of the lives of lab rats that had ARDS. So, and that's just plain old THC, not some specific um, tincture that was selected out of 150 that were trialed. I also just wanted to mention quickly that um, I had been diagnosed with cannabis hyperemesis syndrome as well. And uh, it just went away eventually. (laughs) And I uh, don't really know what or why or how um i couldn't actually link my situation although i have no doubt that this is one so chs is a syndrome so that means that's a collection of symptoms i mean at least i think that's a good (coughs) simplified definition right there's not a blood test for it yeah right Uh, like a lot of different and this is true in ipm a lot of things can cause lesions a lot of different things can cause chlorosis of the leaves senescence a natural process in plants can cause senescent right like so you really gotta identify the agent but with me i couldn't really um uh sort of correlate with a very particular thing like some other people like well i started grow i started just growing my own and i knew what i used and i never had the problem so i could i think it's totally one vector um for the uh, syndrome for me I think it was because um, I think that too many times I would, a big part of it was like using too much at a time. And I think over time that became a little much for my neurobiology. And I think when I got enough of a tolerance, I think that that sort of problem, because I had the same issue with the, with the showers and the heat um, and that being kind of the only solace I could take when I was uh, in one of those uh, hyperemetic vomiting uh, circumstances. It's definitely a scary situation to be in for anybody who is going through it. One of the things I hear first recommended is actually stopping use, like Rob mentioned, but that's really hard for a lot of people. And staying really hydrated with things that are more than water. I just can't advocate that enough. Either Pedialyte, Gatorade, some sort of rehydrant that's not just H2O, because you're losing a lot of electrolytes. So for anybody that's experiencing this out there, I will share exactly what worked for me. Um, I would take an extremely, whatever I could stand hot shower for as long as the hot water would last. And, you know, I would actually be in a bath of hot water with the shower beating down on me, boiling water poured, poured in to whatever I could stand. I, I don't want to advocate getting to the point where um, you are burning yourself like Brandon's friend. Um, but when I got out, you know, I, I barely even dried off. I would throw on like three layers of clothes and then bury myself underneath three or four blankets. And I would keep my body temperature up for as long as I could. And the entire time that I was not, uh, having a convulsion, I was sipping water and, and hydrating. I was never dehydrated because I was, while I was in the shower or while I was in the bath, I was sipping water. I was sipping Gatorade. 
Pedialyte ice pop, uh, freeze pops. Um, thank goodness I had a two-year-old at that or a three-year-old at this point in time, you know, and, um, and then I can't say enough about getting underneath a blanket and keeping your body temperature up because it's not just the hot water, but hot water and bath is going to keep your, your body temp or get your body temperature up the quickest and, and keep it there. But if you can keep your body temperature up for longer, um, you know, I would have a heating pad, you know, an electric heating pad on my back and like, you know, rice packs around me, whatever I could do to get another hour. And then I would just sip water and sip Gatorade and rehydrate. And, um, you know, if you're experiencing that, please, please reach out to me. I'll do whatever I can to help you. I'm currently working with somebody in Pennsylvania, uh, getting her uh, a contact for organic medicine because uh, I've had success with people switching over to organic medicine. And, and if you can, I know that's hard in, in a lot of legal states, but that's, that's the first thing that I would go to is organic, clean medicine, never been sprayed with anything um, as, as clean as you can get it. I also want to say with what you're talking about with blankets, that's a great tip. One, because you're much less likely to cause injury to yourself with overly hot water because the temptation is probably there. I can imagine if I was sick and the only thing that relieved it is hot water, I'd want the hottest water possible. And if you have a hot enough source, you might end up getting hot. So the blanket thing is a really good idea. When I was a lifeguard, for people that would be in shock, they had these mylar blankets that I've actually seen people use for their grow rooms because it's really reflective, but yeah. that material holds heat extremely well. So if you don't have a fancy blanket or heavy blanket, you can put that over your skin and then a regular blanket, just like a, you know, whatever you've got on top of that to trap as much heat and moisture and all that stuff in to keep your body temp up high because I've seen it actually help people who are in shock, get their body temperature elevated enough so that you could basically resuscitate them. And it's a uh, fascinating that really thin little tiny little sheet can actually keep a ton of heat on somebody's body. So they're really cheap yeah, too. The, uh, the hot shower is kind of like a progression. Like your first time it's like, Oh, it's a normal shower. And then you progressively have to keep getting it hotter and hotter. And, you know, if you're experiencing this and, and hot showers are, are the relief, like I, I think the first thing you have to do is really go, go for a longer break and clean out your system. There are other things that you can do to help clean out your uh, CB1 and CB2 receptors, um, you know, exercise, um, you know, depression is something that is linked to, um, you know, kind of, you know, keeping these receptors in, in an imbalance. Um, you know, people say mangoes, turkey, almonds are other foods that kind of are going to help scrub those receptors. Um, exercise, uh, other things that I can't think I, of. Right I got to agree with exercise. I got a drug test 14 days after I got busted when I was in high school as a kid, 16. And I was in like uh, two a days for football and also doing like open gym for basketball. And I was just sweating every single day, 14 days after I'd been smoking every single day for months and months and months, like tons and tons of cannabis. My brother was supplying, dealing it. So I got it for free and smoked a bunch of it all the time. But I passed a piss test 14 days after getting arrested and having a bunch of it on me and in my system. So exercise can definitely make it work through your system quicker. And I think it hangs on to fat cells too. So it's like a double whammy. Yep. If you're losing fat, totally. you're burning it out of the fat and getting it out of your system quicker. Totally agreed. Sorry for the dead air there. I know the, uh, actually Dr. MJ, you've been off quiet over there. Um, have you ever had any experiences with CHS yourself personally? And, um, what are your thoughts? No, no, fortunately I have not. Um, you know, well, first of all, I mean, my thoughts are profound sympathy for anybody that, that's dealing with this. 
Um, I, I don't have any personal experience. It sounds awful. Um, I, I think this is why they put scald guards on our sort of shower faucets. And um, I, I was thinking about what Rob said until he runs out of water. I'm on a, a, our whole building has a central boiler. So I could probably be in there like 24 hours a day. Um, and yeah, I, I, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, I, I do wonder, um, and you know, I, I don't have much to sort of go on this, but I wonder about what was really provoking it. Um, I think it's wonderful that, that switching supplies has um, seemed to relieve the, the problem, but um, I, I certainly think we would need to know more about what it was. I'm kind of curious, Rob, what were you using from AN? Were you using all of their sort of wild and out there supplements or were you just using their, their base nutrients? Um, I was using the uh, pH balanced uh, um, lineup A and B, both veg and uh, bloom, and then the bud blood, uh, bud candy, kind of the middle middle okay. tier. Um, and you then weren't the, using uh, things like wet Betty and stuff like that. Though. Those are all they all do different things. I, I don't recommend advanced nutrients in in general. Um, I don't either. Well, and, and I would always do a 10-day flush. So, and like that. so anybody uh, that wants to think that, like I'd always do a 10-day flush and, and flush out my plants. Maybe no, not I, enough, you know? I don't think it has anything to do with the flush. Their uh, expense is what bothers me about AN. The number of bottles, and if you look at compared to like Jack's nutrients, which works just fine, or even General Hydro, which has like a three-part, which also works very well, and it's been proven for decades. Right. Um, there is stuff that just costs so much less that you can get the same even better actually i, I agree no the, it's all marketing strategy with not like inferior quality products it's an inferior quality product with a, a huge marketing budget really designed towards sort of the the bro crowd with like scantily clad models is their main method to sell nutrients and i'd rather buy my nutrients from a company that wanted to stand behind sort of the science of their nutrients as opposed to somebody in a bikini um, but that's just something to think about if you're tempted by those labels to buy them. Um, the labels are so cool, though. Yeah, that's they're masking <laughs> they very your quality product. When I was, uh, well, not even just when I was in China, but in other places too, um, like it's so funny to see packaging because, like, a big part of every, like over there, like a lot of packages for things were literally they're meant to be like opened and be like a whole experience which in and of itself doesn't have to be bad or malicious or wrong or right. But it was definitely interesting to see so many things that like, like obviously this is something you're supposed to buy for your boss. Like as like a congratulatory thing or somebody else, you know, or an acquaintance or something. And it was like, uh, but things were like ludicrously expensive for what you were getting almost assuredly because of the packaging that went into it, which is, uh, you right. know, not a unique right. thing, but it's a classic uh, marketing strategy. Yeah. I mean, it, there are different ways to to sort of position markets in the market or just position products in the market. And one way is to sort of you know heavily market inferior products at a high price, and the the high price adds the luxury sort of feel to it, Matt. And that, that that's the other thing. It's, I mean, there are some products that we feel are just more valuable because they cost more money. I feel like brand name in general, even for things that are really good and things that are middling and things that are kind of low ball, um, 
but yeah, it, it seems like more and more kind of like creating that parasocial like uh, uh, enjoyment of something or like association with something that like it's part of your identity or it really taps into like somebody's um, you know what I mean like and, yes and they're more like that AN is more a lifestyle brand than I think any other nutrient company out there I, I totally agree with that yeah I just feel as though I mean obviously I'm obviously like you say it's a classic strategy it's not anything new um, but I think in general like people try to do on some level this sort of like like hey this is a thing um well, I'm, tr- I'm not very articulate, <laughs> but uh, people yeah, grow but... great plants with it. I will say that it is expensive, but my one buddy, like Dave in Ohio, he grew with it for years before he finally switched after going to a bunch of trade shows and trying like every sample from every different company and you run out eventually and then you have to buy into one of their systems. But yeah, I think that there are people out there that have tons of success. So I'm not trying to like completely shit on advance who uses it. We're not trying to like hurt your feelings or put you down. Um, it's a successful product and a lot of grow stores pushed it. So you probably got literally, you go to a store where they're talking about growing, even if they can't say that they're growing cannabis and your trusted source is this person who's probably been doing it a lot longer than you. And they say, Hey, buy this bottle. Right. They they definitely do um, commission sales through hydro stores. Absolutely. 100%. So those people that you go to for advice in your hydro store, just be aware that the manufacturers give them rebates based on what they push that month. They also give them sales incentives and targets. And if they hit those, they get bonuses. So think about who's giving you some of your, your advice with that. Wise words. I like to say, find the product that you enjoy the most and then try and figure out who grew it and how they grew it. And then try and replicate that if you can. That's a decent starting place. And then once people get a system underneath their feet, they can sort of adjust it and dial it in to see, oh, I like less of that or more of that. Or actually, I'm going to go to this different medium that works better for me in my setup. But I think there's so many different ways to do it successfully. Uh, A lot of people get caught up on trying to find the one best way. And I think it's the best way for you, what you like the most, what uh, is affordable, what's locally available and, and clean. I think there's a lot of considerations that go into everybody's garden. That's why they all look so different. That's why I love following so many different people. At the end of the day, if you know and understand why it works and how it works, like that's the ultimate kernel right there. And then you can go into, like, like you said, Jack, replicating it, finding somebody else who does the same thing or maybe something you or they might consider to be better for whatever reason. That's why it's why on my uh, going to IPM, it's why my pest primer videos talk a lot about like the actual freaking physiology of the bug and why does that matter? Like a lot of times, maybe that's a little bit much sometimes when you're just looking for a solution, but I think it's so important to know why the solution works so you're not... Um, sort of susceptible to some of the inculcations that people make like oh this is this will work fine like or the my favorite uh bugaboo right now is um the uh insect digestion thing <sighs> like you can have carryover effects with your good advice in one of those pest primers you're like well if these larger pests are blocked out by insect screens and then that insect screen blocks another pest it's like you get the double benefit from learning about, oh, size of a pest actually matters. And there's actually physical ways to go about it that you don't have to spray anything. And those things that I learned in your videos, I really appreciate and uh, enjoy you sharing that might be like minute or overly specific to some people. But I think it really, that education ends up uh, translating into your grow. I've had a lot of people say, um, not to toot my own horn too much, but I've had many people recently the last year or two, especially, 
more say that like because I was detailed in that way or because I said things in the way that I did and sort of enthusiastically they're like I actually want to be an entomologist now or oh I actually want to like look into this more or or study it in college or do something yeah. it's really a, it's really a surreal and gratifying and fulfilling um feeling so I'm glad I agree that I with that yeah learning is contagious once you really start to understand things you want to be able to understand more and I, I really appreciate that approach I try to do the same thing with my articles Matt in giving users sort of the the understanding underneath why what we're doing works and sort of what is the science behind this not just like do this now and and trust me yeah right and I, I really appreciate that and that's why I really like your, uh, to be honest, the fa my favorite thing that you've done is the light um, calculator and the explanations of PPFD uh, because um, it's just, just like the, the, the wattage sort of, um, is, you know, the way, the reasons why wattage doesn't work makes sense to me kind of intuitively, but like some people, like it's photon, like you have to understand the science of what's going on and uh, you don't have to understand in great detail, but like, just know that like, light is the thing that feeds the plant with the co2 and there's a little combination thing and deconstruction that happens and there you go like they yeah. pull they pull their carbon out of the air not out of the ground even though we like to think of nutrients as plant food um you know those little things that we get caught or told in like kindergarten or first grade really do have profound sort of misinformation effects yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks, Matt. I, I really appreciate that. So, um, yeah, I think once you have the, the knowledge, once you can start to see how things like that work, and I think that the, the way light works is a good example. That's what I like to do with it, sort of, in, in every video I make is sort of give a little insight into these things, because then you can apply that knowledge to other situations, and you sort of understand the relationships that are going on, so you can extrapolate what might happen in your grow space, you know, in a similar situation or in an, even in a different situation once you understand those relationships. I think the whole like, cause I said so explanation, if you ever get somebody who's like that, they really probably don't understand what is going on. So if somebody can't explain it to you, maybe they don't understand. And I think if they did, they'd be able to give you the reason behind it. And that's why I always like to have an explanation or a link or a source or whatever to back up whatever I'm saying. I think it's a good course to kind of have proof behind your statements or at least knowledge and understanding of why you say or do something. Yeah. Or, or at least a theory. I mean, sometimes I find that we don't really know. Um, there are certain things about, I don't know, like extending darkness before harvest or even the final flush and things like that. There's some stuff that we we know. There's other sort of known unknowns, right? Um, and then there's... Data rack, please. <laughs> but but then we have we have a bunch of stuff where we sort of know other things about how plants work, and we can develop a theory. So if you have you know at, at least a theory, then explain that, and and then we can later on decide. Okay, that theory is is whack, or okay, I think that that may be true, and and the extrapolations from that are also valid. Or um, maybe you were partially right about one thing or another, right? Right, right. So to be that's often the case. To to be aware of of that, and I, I think this gets to be somewhat, uh, I mean, a deeper level of awareness about our own beliefs and thoughts and understandings than uh, oftentimes we're consciously aware of. But 
to sort of understand where your own thoughts come from and how many of them are really based on sort of like rigorous science or how many of them are based on you know something you heard as a child and that's probably not true at all um our our sort of conceptual universes have been filled in by a, a lot of different sources and um that's been an interesting exercise in almost every article i write in in trying to identify sort of the source of my own knowledge on these things brandon you want to jump in there oh yeah no i i i totally understand what he's saying um it's funny because there's a the, there's a, a list of wizard's rules and the wizard's first rule explains that you know people's heads are full of knowledge most of which is not correct and oftentimes it's you know easier for, because of that to people get led astray into ideas and beliefs that don't necessarily have any factual basis in the science I guess, you know, the Pluto's cave analogy is pretty much always relevant in that way, right? Like, you know, you you might not be, you might be, you're seeing the effects or the the illusions of something rather than the actual, like, causal agents. And oftentimes, I think the causal agents are not just one, but a group of various things that you're talking about. But then we're, now we're talking about epistemology, so. Um, Science is always learning new stuff, too. I my home, bro completely just recently why and and uh what'd you do okay so you were you guys remember here i'll just i'll just go out there you had the two tent set up you had the five by five and then the little uh basically lung room which was an air conditioning unit that was pumping the cold air into the uh tent that's in your garage i believe right i had a five by five and then i had a little two by two that had an AC in it. What I did is I had this eight by eight tent sitting in my garage from a previous thing from somebody else. And so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna kind of rearrange this and make it a little more like what I want. So hold on one second, it's gonna get dark. Let me turn the light on. Okay, so what I ended up doing was I put the five by five tent. Let me see if you guys can see this. I put the five by five tent inside inside the eight by eight, and then I have the little small two by two by like it's a twenty four by twenty four by thirty six. So two I have like three. isolation tent that I can do like you know if I want to take my male and hit a female, and then I can you know let them do their thing in there, or I can use it for clones or whatever, and then I have more space over on this side. Uh, if I want to put like, you know, some veg plants or whatever, and then I have, you know, my regular little five by five space here. And then, and then I have everything down here that I need, like my little uh, humidifier, my AC, my uh, CO2, and then my little box that controls everything. And it's actually looking nice. a lot happier over there than it was a few weeks ago or last week when we looked at least. Things yeah, it's working in space, Brandon. It's all right. It's a part of a little project that I'm working on with the Blueberry Trainwreck MK Ultra. So it's it's got to be crazy to be in such a small garden after being in a giant ass facility full of like thousands of plants and like 40 light rooms. Just going from one of those to the a it's tent. It's funny because I'm like obsessed, man. I'm like, I wake up and I come down here and check on all of these and I go to work. 
Um, and then a lot of times I'll come home and like start chucking up seed or doing Bokashi stuff or I just, uh, I'm always around weed constantly. I think that's what we call living the dream, right? <laughs> At least I enjoy that. That's a good lifestyle. Kyle, how are things going as far as shucking seeds for you over there in uh, Mass? I know you've got some new stuff coming on the way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I plan on harvesting, I think, uh, in about a, a week and a half to two weeks. Uh, I have a lot of really good pinos that came out. I'm, like, super pumped. Some of them smell like uh, like grape fun dip and candy cigarettes, and I got, like, some other stuff going on. Um, but next round will be seeds. I basically did, like, a pure flower run and pheno hunt, um, and then I'm basically going to take those phenos and, uh, you know, make seeds. I might sell some. I might cross. Uh, some of the phenos were so in the same genome or the same cross were so beautiful, I might cross them together. Uh, and just see how those turn out but um but yeah so to comment on something that you guys were talking about before about the the science thing man and uh and I, I posted this a while ago to you guys i don't know if you recall but um there's a guy named hawk who's like a, a really in-depth medical cannabis breeder down in uh oregon oregon yeah and he uh so he had prostate cancer and they were kept telling him that he needs to go you know through the obvious uh, chemo and stuff like that well he didn't want to take that route and he was actually getting suppository if that's if i'm saying that correctly yeah. uh yeah of, of well, i think it was black dominia and black uh, yeah black domina and uh it basically it went away and then it came back and then he did it again and it went away and i think after the third session doing that suppository uh he has been cancer free for like 15 years now so uh, and my grandfather just passed away from prostate cancer, and I wish we would have tried that route before uh, doing what he went through, the, the basic, uh, whatever the doctors told him to do. But, uh, yeah, so I, I firmly believe, man, that there's, you know, hopefully there's good things to come in the future, and, uh, you know, it's definitely, uh, there's definitely a purpose for it. Direct contact, I'll say. Like Rick Simpson, he got famous for Rick Simpson oil, like I talked about at the beginning of the show. He used cannabis oil because he read a study about how THC killed cancer in mice. He used high THC cannabis oil on his cancer, on his skin, on his face. He had some there on his nose, he had some on his arm and a few other spots. Well, he said he got the one surgically removed. It came back. So then the other two spots, he just started putting cannabis oil underneath his bandages. And within weeks or even like a few days, in some cases, those spots ended up going away. And he said he tried to share that information. And this was back when with the doctors in Canada, they didn't want to believe anything he had to say because cannabis legality wasn't where it is now. So I think that it's promising that there's more research, but I do think there's something like you were just saying with Hawk about the on contact, like specific, if you have uh, the ability to get it directly on there. Like if you have brain cancer, obviously you're not going to be able to like open up your skull and rub it on your brain, but taking RSO. I could do that for you. <laughs> Tao has the surgical skills and steady hand. You got a skill, so no worries. It's like that. You could all quote. use a good brain massage from time to time. But I will say, um, Rick Simpson himself, he's still alive today in 2020. He does interviews on YouTube. He's fucking badass. Shout out to Rick. He said he likes four to five strain indica blends. And I don't know why. It, it, a lot of people consider those the most medicinal, um, even when they're smoked. So I think blending four or five of them, you're going to hit a lot of the endocannabinoid system and potentially have the most uh, overall impact of entourage effects and things like that. So that's what Rick Simpson recommends. He also recommends using a naphtha, but he's in Canada where it's 99.99% pure. It's like isopropyl or really high proof alcohol here in the States. We can't get clean naphtha down here, at least to my knowledge. Most places that get it, it's contaminated. So a lot of people don't like to use naphtha. 
and they even stopped calling RSO RSO because they started using alcohol instead of naphtha. But Rick put a lot of people onto it, even though he wasn't the first person to do it. And he also, um, to his claim, has helped thousands of people with uh, cancer, and they're still alive through using cannabis oil. So I definitely think there's more than just a little bit of an anecdote. There's a website called CureYourOwnCancer.org where people have posted their um, x-rays and uh, scans where they have cancer. Stage three, stage four, we're told you only have three months to live, two months to live, get your things in order, and here they are living three, five, ten years later in some cases. So never give up. A lot of it is being optimistic and believing, but getting good, clean quality medicine, if you can, is a really a major thing for people going through those difficult diseases like cancer and others. But we're coming up to the final 10 minutes. I wanted to say thank you again to Rob. I know uh, you didn't get to talk very much. This is just sort of like a normal panel. You're just like one of the growers here with us. You like helping other growers, so it makes sense. You blended right in. Yeah, man, you don't have to apologize for anything. Uh, when I was keeping myself busy chatting in the chat, which is an awful lot of fun, and uh, getting those guys to you know like the video if they haven't already gotten the message, um, you know, spread the love, man. Spread the love. That's what it's about. For sure. Yeah, shout out to 121 people watching now. I don't know if that's the new record or if we had that before, but I've been seeing us going way over the, you know, a little bit over the triple digits into the triple double digits there. And I'm just really happy to see that. Um, I really appreciate everyone who comes on and especially the names that I see uh, week to week. It's cool. There's actually like five to 600 that watch throughout the show. Some of them probably have to go and do other things throughout their day at this time and they can't watch the whole thing. But uh, concurrently, we've got the 118 or 122 or whatever that number was just at. But uh, we get hundreds more than that that actually tuned in during the show live. So it's an awesome community. We really appreciate all of you who are here live. We appreciate anyone who comes afterward. You can like the show, you can subscribe to the show, and it helps support the channel. I want to give uh, Noah the Groa a chance to go ahead and give his uh, social media and his final information and shout outs. Yeah, I'm Noah the Grower on Instagram. Uh, anybody who has any questions about what I'm doing or any questions about growing, you're more than welcome to stop by my page. You can direct message me any question. I try and help everybody as much as I can. And um, yeah, I've been medically growing for a while and I uh, enjoy it. Happy to be here and uh, everybody have a good day and happy growing. Happy growing to you, Noah. Sorry I got those numbers to you late. Uh, you do a hell of a job. I love looking at your plants on Instagram. They look beautiful. So I just want to say shout out to you. You're doing a great thing. And uh, the plants that you grow are probably helping uh, not just yourself, but other people around. So that's a really awesome thing. The Thanks American lot, man. one, you are up next, buddy. Jack and panel was interesting discussions this week. It's always great to be here. Um, chat, glad to be to see you guys. Yeah, I apologize if you don't know me already. You've been missing out. I'm the American one on IG, I mean, on YouTube, and I'm the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on IG. Just uh, search for the American one, and I'm the little guy with the American top hat. So, um, yeah, thanks for showing up tonight, everyone. And thank you, yeah, definitely for showing up. We had some technical difficulties at the beginning of the show, so we didn't go live at the regular time. Happy you all found us still, and we're able to tune in this week. Next up, Kyle Breeder. Hey, thanks, thanks for having me, everybody. Rob, thanks for being here. Uh, if you ever, if you're open for it, I mean, I'd be up to doing a, you know, a, a podcast with you or a show or something. But um, yeah, if anybody wants to get any uh, feminized seeds, uh, feel free to check out my website at pbreeding.com. Uh, if you want to look at some of the new stuff that I'm growing or getting into, 
predicated breeding on social media. Again, Jack, thanks for always hosting and keeping the show alive. And I uh, hope everyone has a, a great week. I'll see you guys next Sunday. Thank you for joining us, Kyle. I've seen a lot of people within this very community, the Cheap Home Grow listeners, growing the predicative breeding genetics. I appreciate the work that you've put in to stress testing them and trying to weed out any of the weak so that, like Rob mentioned earlier, you have plants that are hardy and resistant. So even in a home grow environment, if it's not perfect all the time, the plant can still produce and produce medicine that makes the grower very happy. I've talked to literally more people than I can count on one hand uh, in DMs that have grown your gear and been really happy with it. So shout out to you. You're doing good work that people are appreciating and uh, that's awesome stuff. Somebody who has grown some on the panel right here with us tonight is Dr. MJ. So I'll give you the chance to do your sign-outs. Hey, hey, yeah, it was a fun show. I, I you know, Rob, I really enjoyed getting to getting to know you. I mean, um, I think we got to to see quite a bit into your experience and and certainly to get a sense of your your empathy and your suffering and in, in sort of that struggle was uh, eye-opening and I think helpful to a lot of people out there. So that was fun. Um, thanks for coming on. And uh, yeah, shout out, you know, I'd like to give my shout out to the, the Cocoa for Cannabis community, um, especially the Plant Training Grow Challenge. We have over 260 growers participating in the Plant Training Grow Challenge. Um, and this is the, the flip week, uh, flipping on the first, and we're giving away the Photon Tech X465 Watt Pro Grow Light on October 1st. Um, so if you're in the PTGC, be sure you're paying attention to that. And if you want to get involved in these grow challenges, we're going to start signups for the New Year's Grow Challenge, which starts on January 1st. Um, on October 1st, you'll be able to start signing up for that as well. Um, I got a few grow light tests coming out. People ask me about those. I got the Vipar Spectra XS1500, the new Mars FC3000, and uh, the MyGro Array. And I also got the Grower's Choice um, ROI E720 and the Grower's Choice ROI E420. Um, all stacked up in my hallway. I've tested about half of them and all those reports. I'm going to try to do one a week for the next several weeks. So look forward to that. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Rob, again. And uh, talk to you guys next week. That is a lot of lights to test. I know that it's actually a lot of good quality lights because I've seen their numbers from other places. But I look forward to seeing your videos because uh, I think you do a great job of displaying how they present the light to the canopy and all the numbers. Uh, like Matthew mentioned earlier, I think you do a great job with that. And I'm also going to be joining that plant training, plant training grow challenge on October 1st. That'll be my birthday. That's this Thursday. I've got three berry lights that I've been doing a bunch of low stress training on. I've documented with photos that I need to go and upload at cocoforcannabis.com. Really awesome community over there. Uh, Eagle Gardens mentioned how much he liked it when he stopped in over there and that he's going to be joining into the, the grow challenge as well. So I encourage, uh, many listeners in the chat. If you have the ability to uh, definitely check out CocoaForCannabis.com. Thank you again for joining us, Doc. Next, we have Matthew Gates. Yeah, really good. Um, really good session. I really enjoyed the chat. Shout out to the chat. Shout out to anyone from Lemon Hoku's podcast who is on here as well. I really appreciate the support and I'll be seeing you guys more often in the Discord server. If you're interested in more integrated pest management content and education, there are three places you can find it. The first one is on my YouTube channel, Xenthanol, which is where I put most of the highest quality uh, educational content that I make. Uh, the second place is Instagram at SyncAngel and also on Twitter at SyncAngel. Also, I am going to be giving a presentation at the first inaugural cannabis uh, aquaponics um, webinar. I believe that's the title. Yep. Um, October 3rd and 4th. 
October 3rd and 1st. Me in particular will be speaking on the 3rd at 10 a.m. PST. So if you want to hear me talk about IPM and some of the important contextual points with aquaponics in particular, uh, please uh, sign up or um, in some way, shape, or form uh, get there or be nowhere. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. And I will say uh, highest quality is, not, is an understatement. The quality of content that you put on YouTube is like college level, just like absolutely like you could get a degree if you watched all of Matthew's YouTube videos because there's so much detail and sourcing and just quality information on there, whether it's entomology or, or other things. It's a fantastic Presenthanol YouTube page where he's been commenting on this uh, particular live stream today is full of amazing content, hours and hours of it. So definitely make sure to go back and watch some of that catalog. And thank you again, Matthew, for joining us. I think Brandon is the last panelist before I go over to uh, Rob. Brandon, you haven't given your sign off yet, have you? Nope, I haven't. What's going on, cannabis community and all the listeners? I'm Brandon Rust. You can find me um, on Instagram at RustBrandon. Um, you can also find a link to my page, to my business, Bokashi Earthworks, where I sell biofertilizers, lots of microbes, just like what you're seeing right here. Biocontrols, Bouveria bassiana, Trichoderma, Bacillus subtilis, effective microorganisms, working on my list. Um, yeah, so I'm just getting everything ready uh, to launch the website here soon, just doing finishing some back-end stuff, and uh, that's going to be live, and I'll be dropping a seed line here real shortly and just can follow along, see all the different stuff. Uh, I'm always uh, happy to be here and I look forward to be uh, doing it again next week. I love the uh, dedication that you have to the plant. The passion is so clearly there. I mean, your business and your other business and your other business are all cannabis business related, even if they're not. I mean, Bokashi can be used on cannabis and all that good stuff. So it's cool to see you so wholeheartedly diving into this uh, career and accepting it. And as that is who you are, I, I'm glad to see you having success. And I wish you continued success uh, with all your projects moving forward. That being said, the last uh, person, our special guest this evening, Rob, thank you again for joining us. Uh, you can give your final shout outs. Yeah, thanks, Jack, for uh, having me. And, and first off, I'm so grateful uh, for you continuing to do what you're doing here on a weekly basis and uh, really enjoy the time and enjoy watching the shows when I'm not on it. And, you know, I don't uh, grow. Um, I'm uh, particularly uh, different from the rest of the panelists right now. Um, I grew for a long time, but I love learning about the plant. So it's not just uh, me being here and sharing what I know uh, through acquired knowledge, but it's also uh, an opportunity to like, you know, uh, you know, do my job as a podcaster as well and, and learn from you guys. So thank you very much for, for sharing your knowledge and um, you know, anybody, you know, I know an interview coming up with Jack and uh, we just got to get that scheduled and, and Kyle, and anybody else that wants to be on the homegrown helpers, um, even, even the audience, you know, if, if that's, that's what I do is talk to other home growers. So feel free to uh, go to the homegrown helpers.com slash apply, or just uh, DM me and we'll set something up and, and we'll chat. Um, other places to find me is Atlas plant trainer, uh, that's my product designed to uh, train and support your plants in any direction, size, shape that you want. And, uh, and then I'm the producer of Growcast, and we have our membership program that's that's currently taking in new members right now. Uh, 
the other thing that I wanted to mention is we're giving a uh, doing a trim bag giveaway on October 1st. Uh, go to migropass.com slash giveaway. Just enter in and, and October 1st at 420, we're drawing it. Uh, so, you know, changing some outdoor growers life, hopefully. Yeah, Saving them a bunch of time. He said he went through like several pounds in a few hours where the last harvest the year before when he didn't have the bag, it took him like weeks to go through all the trimming. So, and, can... and honestly, like I'm always amazed at the quality of product that comes out of it. Uh, you know, most people would knock it because it's, you know, you're tossing around your buds in a bag and, and I did for a long time, but the stuff always comes out better than I expected to. That's a good thing to hear. I know Smiley's garden in the chat for a little bit. Uh, He's used it as well with a positive review. And for people that have to do large amounts and they can't um, hire trim crews for whatever reason, like safety purposes in a red state or uh, whatever reason, maybe you don't have the funding to do so, or maybe you just can't trust people for one reason or another, being able to use a bag. And some people will trim all their best top buds and then maybe use their lowers and their mid buds in the bag. So there's lots of strategies to making it successful. So I, I always say don't knock it till you try it. People love right. to shit on like my herbs now and they've never even used it before. I used it and I actually it, like it, but a lot it, of people. Jack, I just wanted to say one last thing. Um, you know, the community, you know, we've talked about it in the chat a lot tonight and like the community and, and how we all kind of, uh, you know, are, are, are everywhere with everybody else. And, you know, uh, Dr. Coco, you know, graciously shares his time and you share your time and, you know, there's a bunch of podcasts and, and they're all in this, you know, chat, you know, supporting uh, what you guys are doing here. And it's just a really awesome community that, uh, that you built around this and that we've all built around uh, what we're all doing. And, and just shout out to everybody that's watching and, and the panelists that uh, make this happen every week. For sure. And with that said, I don't want to go too long because after we hit six o'clock here on the West Coast or nine o'clock on the East Coast, we start going into the Michigan Bros Grow Show, which oh. happens for two hours. Uh, normally a Spartan Grown. He is uh, one of our panel members. He told me, though, that he wasn't going to be able to make it this week. He's OK. Everything's all good. He just uh, couldn't make the show this week. But uh, shout out to Spartan Grown. I am at Jack Greenstock, as you can see on my little banner up behind me when I lean out of the way. And I'm filling in, like I said, for Shane of the Cheap Home Grow podcast. I love everyone here in the community. Uh, it's really awesome to see it growing. There's so many different shows. Eagle Gardens is in the chat. He's got a show, Fucking Talking Shit with Eagle. It comes on every single night about uh, 8.30 on the West Coast, 11.30 on the East Coast. And he's been in the chat graciously supporting with a lot of the other listeners, like I, uh, Rob just mentioned, that you see in all the different chats and panels and things like that. So it's cool to see the community blending and going from one show to the other, showing that growers love all around. and. Uh, everybody seeking that knowledge and trying to be the best grower they can be most informed they can be and uh, that's what it's all about so this is jack greenstock thank you all for coming and listening and i'm signing out grower love everyone happy grow